iTunes presents Meet the Filmmaker at the Apple Store. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the Apple Store Soho. You guys doing all right tonight? How are we doing? A little bit of noise. Just a little bit. I watch the right side not do anything. Left side, you guys are cool. We're going to do it one more time. How are you guys feeling tonight? Come on. <laughs> there we go. And in the back. Even better. Awesome. That's the energy I want everyone to have. Thank you, sir. Make sure you sit so the people behind you can see, too, though. But that's good. Keep that. Keep that internally. All right, so we're going to have a good time tonight. we got a good event lined up for you. That being said, are you ready for a good time? Yeah! That's what I want. All right, awesome. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome this evening's guest moderator, Elvis Mitchell, host of The Treatment, and tonight's guest, Eric Bana. Thank you. This part is, one of the things I want to ask you about before we get into the movie is that you have a knack for not only getting accents right, but for getting speaking rhythms right. And I wonder where that ear comes from, because that's, that's unusual, because I was noticing in this movie, the rhythms that the guy spoke in are very German, as compared to when you do an American accent, you sound like an American. And I wonder where you get that from. Oh, thanks. Um, well, it just comes with practice, I think, and also, to be honest, I can't take too much of the credit because I, I always work with uh, different uh, dialect coaches depending on the, the movie and, and the accent and the circumstances. So in this case, I had someone I hadn't worked with before and Eric's accent was very unusual because he's actually uh, Hungarian but had spent all his time in Germany. So we had to find, uh, you know, samples that would help us basically construct something that was going to be believable for the script. But my parents are European. My dad's... Uh, from Croatia and my mum's from Germany. So I, I did gr grow up in a house that there were always, you know, weird accents, as well as Australian ones, which I know is the weirdest of them all, obviously. I'm sorry, I can't understand you. Speak slower. No, no, exactly. I'm sorry. No, but it's, it's, I think it's, and you know what I'm talking about, it's an unusual thing to get the rhythms right because Australian rhythms are different from British rhythms and you play all these characters yeah. from other countries. Yeah, no, that's very true. It is one of the first things that um, the more you do it, it you... You actually look for what we call the, the shortcuts, which is like, you know, if you over-articulate, if, if you do an American accent and you speak perfectly, it sounds absolutely bloody terrible because you guys don't speak perfectly and neither do we. Thank so you. So it's about, you know, working out where the, what shortcuts you guys take, what shortcuts we take, and that sort of helps you find the rhythm because the, that informs the rhythm. That makes sense. So when were you working with Curtis Hansen and that accent and that rhythm? Where was that guy from? What did you think? Well, he was uh, from Reno, and then obviously you know spent a lot of time in in Vegas. So yeah, like I say, every film it's it's always something different. Um, unfortunately, we don't we don't get much of a chance to talk in our native slang um, because for whatever reason in movie there are not many Australian people. But in real life, there are some Australian people. So I'm hoping that we'll, uh, you know, I might get another chance to play another Australian at some stage. Which we're talking about stage, you got a chance to do in Funny People. I did, yeah, yeah. And you were saying before that that guy wasn't written to be an Australian at all. No, in the script, when I first read it, he was, he was as crazy, but he was uh, American. Um, and when I spoke to Judd Apatow, uh, about the character, I said, look, just one idea I've got, if, if you let me make him Australian, there are some things about the character that I can bring that aren't there at the moment um, that I won't be able to bring if, if he's American. So that was one of the ideas. And he was really open to it and um, 
and fine about it, luckily. So I was able to, to yeah, play a mad Australian. Yeah, he really was, because he just really couldn't sit still. And you were talking, one of my favorite parts in that movie is when you get completely insane talking about footy. Yeah, and, and you were that wasn't him, that was me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But he's just so animated and so wound up and he can't sit still. And I don't know if, how many of you guys saw Funny People. He has a great speech where you come in talking about this, uh, this Chinese doctor and this whole, he's like a Chinese uh, George Clooney. Yeah, 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 that yeah. must have been improvised too, right? Yeah, um, the uh, funnest part about working with Judd is, you know, I think there's you know, misconception about uh, improv. I think it's really dangerous. Like I've got so much respect for writers. You know, I think they've got the hardest job out of everyone because without them, you know, we can't do anything. So I think it's really dangerous to just get a bunch of actors into a room and say, you know, this is the scene and you just, guys, just, just do your thing. Just, you know, like improv it, man. Just be loose and just... Say what comes to... I think it's a... Most times it's a disaster. What Judd does is he does that in the rehearsal environment and, you know, you get to shoot the shit for a while and you get to muck around and, and he extracts the really good bits and puts them into the script. So it's like a, a seriously edited version of, of improv, which is, you know, a much, much smarter way to go. And the exciting thing about how he works is he... Um, not all of it will end up in the script, but it'll end up on a clipboard in front of him and he'll yell it out during the take. Okay. So he'll say, now say, blah, 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 blah. And it'll be a line from rehearsal or something. Yeah. Well, but one of the things that you, you managed to do in that movie, and it's very interesting in watching the way you work, is character is always very specific. And again, for me, it's listening to the language. Now, the fascinating thing about Eric is that he's always slightly impatient, but very precise. Mm -hmm. And that's an interesting contrast to play, isn't it? Yeah, well, that, in that particular point in the film, it's where uh, the character of Eric and Hannah get separated. They've been living in this cabin in the forest and uh, my character is basically taking Hannah un under his wing and is raising and caring for her. And her whole life, basically, she's lived in that cabin. Exactly. And then, and then uh, there comes a, a point which I allow her to go free under slightly dramatic circumstances through a device, which you'll see when you see the film. But her life is from that point on in in complete danger so we've gone from this very peaceful calm idyllic uh, environment even though it's quite brutal to suddenly we are now part of the real world so he's gone from a man who who's you know got all the time in the world to say nothing or a few words to suddenly a man who is now you know back in the real world and he's he's on new york time now and he's no longer on forest time and um and that's that that scene there is where the two characters now separate separated to go on the the journey in the in the movie but still though he's always when we see the two of them together in the very beginning when we get to see him really applying these lessons that he's been giving to her he's still very precise he's looking for the answer he's not really a man who wants much conversation it's all very businesslike with her well he is ex um cia that's his his background is he he's a, a an ex-cia who has gone rogue for reasons we discover uh, during the course of the film and he has a very big secret as does Kate Blanchett's character of Marissa. Um, I don't want to give too much away but yeah, we do have uh, quite a lot in common in terms of the context of the story. But even in those early scenes, that, that very early scene where they're at the very beginning, he's still a little impatient. It's like he's trying to make sure that she hears everything he's saying. Yeah, well, I guess it's, it, it comes from, you know, he realises it's, it's his responsibility to impart 
all the knowledge that is going to, uh, you know, make her a better human being. But ultimately, it's a matter of life and death. It's not a normal parenting situation where we're trying to raise people to go out in the world and just, just you know, live happy, successful lives. If I don't do the right thing by her, if she doesn't listen to what I'm saying, it's, it's life or death. It's fascinating. I wonder, one of the things you liked about the script, it goes from being really brutal to really lyrical. I mean, there are a lot of interesting contrasts in the movie, and I'm guessing maybe that's one of the things that attracted you to the material. Yeah, the material, I've got to say, was... Uh, it, it really exploded in its freshness, and um, it, it came... You know, we made the movie last year, which was... Last year was like a dearth for actors. It was a very, very tough time to find great material. Tougher or, than usual? Much tough. The last two years have been, you know, particularly tough to find original material just because of the way the business has gone and the, 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 the type of movies that generally get made now. So to find an original script that was not based on a book that was you know, that was going into production. It was actually a real movie. They, they were extremely rare elements. So when I read the script, it was, you know, like a huge breath of fresh air. It, it read very smartly. It had a lot of energy. And it just, it felt, it felt very different. It felt very fresh. So there was a hell of a lot of electricity in the original uh, screenplay. Then you combine Joe Wright, our director, who, you know, has a great eye and has great taste um, and I really believe, you know, that it's the director's job to impose a sense of style on a script. If we, any one of us could, technically speaking, grab a script and grab a crew and actually go and make a movie. I'm not saying it would be good or anyone would go and see it. But technically speaking, with a, with a full crew and a DP and a line producer and a producer and someone holding your hand, you could actually go out and make a really crappy version of this movie, right? I think somebody anyway. has done that a couple of times right. before. Um, so, you know, it really is the director's job to impose what innate skill and sense of style they have. And Joe really elevated this, this material. And when I spoke to him the first time on the phone and he said, look, for, for, for him this story was essentially about a fairy tale or a fairy tale gone wrong. And we, we have a lot of, you know, characters that are based upon fairy tale that that's when I got really excited and when he explained the the kind of vision for the film uh it was something that sounded very unusual yeah well because the lot of the stuff you've done even so these big studio things have been really must be for you about finding a character in the piece because you never just sort of show up in a tentpole type movie and just do the the obvious hero thing I mean, even in, in Black Hawk Down you're kind of the moral compass in the movie well, yeah, I mean, selfishly, you, you always, you know, you read a script and you're selfishly trying to find the most interesting part. I mean, usually when it comes your way by that stage, they're pretty sure about what it is you're going to, to like or want to do or what they want you to do. Um, so that process has been narrowed down. But there's no doubt that you, you read things selfishly and, and you're trying to find something that's going to be a challenge to you. And that's why you say, you know, no to 99% of them and yes to 1% of them and the stuff you say yes to is, is the stuff that, for whatever reason, you know, knocks on the door and feels like it's going to be a challenge. You were talking uh, backstage with me about the kind of movies you grew up liking, and I feel like one of the things that this ties this movie to those, in a lot of ways, it feels like kind of a 70s thriller. Yeah, and then they are my favourite my favorite films, and um, I'm really excited for, you know, general public to start seeing the movie because it, it, if you're... If you're a real film lover and you love 
films from the 70s and, and uh, films of that genre, you, I, I think you'll really love, love Hannah because it, does, it, it doesn't play or read like a film from 2010 at all. I mean, it does in terms of its, its kind of action and its pacing and so forth, but um, even there, Joe really has taken the care and had the confidence to take his time where he felt it appropriate and hasn't fallen for the traps of fast cutting, fast cutting, you know, trying to, you know, drive over the top of the story or the characters. He's allowed things to just sort of play out how he thinks they should rather than how they've been done in the past. And there's a lot of really swift, brutal action in the movie. The action stuff is really great. And even that stuff plays out in long takes rather than like really fast cuts. Even the, that really intimate action, that even that's sort of like kind of drawn out. So you can see all of it. And it's got to be really clear to follow too. Yeah, he, um, this was, I mean, I, I guess in the past he's obviously done, not, not an action film, but he's, you know, he's done movies that have, you know, dramatic elements to them. But this was definitely the most action filled film he'd done but the exciting part about that for me was um he had jeff amata who is a great fight choreographer who was uh you know in charge of all the action in the film and when you're working with a director who's discovering that part of uh filmmaking for the first time it's really interesting because you get to see it through a different set of eyes from a director who's done a lot of it before. A director who's done a lot of that stuff before will turn up on set and go, right, we're here on a, on a hundred and we're going to go this way, bang, and then we're going to do this, and then we're going to do this, and then we're going to do this, and they, and they just are kind of rigid in how they want to shoot something. And, you know, Joe would often turn up and just go, well, um, we'll start with this. And then I want to think about it and actually know we're going to go on the steady cam and we're going to try and do this whole section in one cut. And so he had he was kind of finding his way and was allowing himself to be even more exposed and sort of, I guess, to a degree, embrace the fear that comes with filmmaking of how am I going to cover this or how is this going to cut together, but had the confidence to occasionally, you know, let us do 20 seconds of action and have it all play you know, in, in the frame and then have the option later to, to do that, to hold it rather than, you know, cut the hell out of it, which really removes all your fight choreography. It removes all the danger on the day that you expose people to and it reduces it into just, you know, short, sharp movements that, you know, you and I could get up and do right now. So it's exciting, you know, when you're working with a director who's prepared to take those chances. Do you like that working with directors who are kind of new to it still? So you're kind of learning it with them? It is because there's never I've never ever worked with a director who I felt was going through the motions. I think every film I've done, there's a director who is either really, really excited about the piece of material or is pushing themselves in a particular direction for whatever reason. Like they've this piece of material is important to them at this point in their life for whatever reason and makes them more vulnerable as a, as a result. And I think it they're. they're I think in every case I've I've been involved I've seen directors go through hell because they are pushing themselves and that, and that's it's scary as an actor to to be in that situation but it's exciting too because you feel like they're ex they're sort of as vulnerable as you are and you're more on a shared journey rather than a kind of you know dictatorship where someone is you know absolute in in what they're doing. It almost sounds like you're talking 
specifically about Munich in this case, that, that kind of a director departing fleet normally done, working with an esteemed playwright, taking on a piece of political material. It, it sounds like a lot of that, what you're talking about now almost came from that. Yeah, but I think also in a lot of the other films too, but obviously in Munich, yeah, with Stephen, there was definitely a case that that's a piece of material that he'd been working on for a very long period of time and we were we nearly made the film a year earlier and he he wanted to take it a step further and and um so yeah it was obviously very very close to to his heart and uh the, i think that the experience of making the film was elevated as as a result there's no doubt yeah but you've gone from working with directors who worked done a lot like spielberg or curtis hansen to guys who, even though they've been in the business a long time like jj uh, abrams or judd apatow hadn't directed a whole lot so they have a, a different kind of expertise they bring into the picture. Yeah, I, and I, I enjoy, you know, jumping around. I, there's two, like I said before, the, the person I have, you know, literally the most amount of respect for is the, is the writer. I mean, obviously I have a huge amount of respect for director as well, but, you know, the writer takes a piece of paper and just with some ink creates a story that is either going to make us fall asleep or be a seminal moment for our movie going lives you know and that all just comes from a, a bit of paper and a pen and without those words on the page we have nothing to make and we have no way of moving or scaring or, or exciting so um, that's really the most important element usually the best scripts have the best directors attached to them because that's just how the, the system works but occasionally for whatever reason a story might be too small for a big director or a story might be too big for another kind of director I think it's really dangerous to uh, to try and be cute about what size film you want to do in every in every case it's been um, you read something and whether it's a first-time director or the most experienced director I think the material is is super important because I think first-time directors can make mistakes and I think really experienced directors have make, can make mistakes and we've seen that in people's filmography. I don't, I don't think uh, everyone is uh, completely immune to, you know, making a bad movie. So I think you have to be careful. You know, you want to... Not every movie we make is great and uh, there's always going to be turkeys, but I think it, you can live with a turkey if you think you're buying... Uh, help me here... Uh, Something else. Not a turkey. <laughs> Not a turkey. If you order... You, you can live with a... <laughs> Turkeys are only okay on Thanksgiving, okay? The rest so of the So you learn something from America. Good, that's exactly, good to hear. Exactly, exactly. But as you talk about this, though, I wondered how Chopper came into being because that was an interesting project based on a real-life guy. Uh, your first film... Uh, first leading role in the film, that must have been a really interesting set of circumstances. And I also wonder, too, you find yourself trying to recapture that excitement from that first time. Um, yeah, I mean, well, it's, it's kind of complicated. I mean, before I did Chopper, my background, which I know is weird given my uh, American filmography, but my background was stand-up comedy for 12 years before I started doing... before I started pretending to be serious so the 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 kind of rush that you get creatively and performance wise from stand-up can't ever really be matched by acting in film i mean it's like sleepwalking in comparison so w where possible i guess you go you know 
looking for the adrenaline in in a project, and the, that adrenaline can come in various sources. With Chopper, it was a very, uh, you know, extremely unique character, which is based on a real person, obviously. Um, and again, with the first time filmmaker, um, so that was a that was was a very very you know energy charged kind of dangerous feeling project, definitely. And there've been reports, but what was the response to Chopper from that community? Well, it was kind of mixed. Um, Chopper is a movie that's definitely been better for me over time. Uh, than when it first came out. It was a very, very controversial film when it came out. And in fact, you know, they tried to close us down three times during pre-production. The film very nearly didn't get made. Um, so it was a very, very controversial bit of... They... they well, out, you know, outside pressure. I mean, in Australia, our films are heavily financed by uh, the Film Finance Corporation and, and taxpayers' money. So there was a very large... Uh, anti-chopper, you know, call because they thought that we were going to be deliberately glorifying the life of a criminal. And there's all kinds of arguments that you can get into on either sides of that, which I won't go into. We knew what kind of movie we were going to be making and that we weren't going to be doing that, but that was irrelevant to, to other people at the time. So the movie was very close to not happening. So then it was controversial when it came out. We had some, you know, success in Australia at, at box office and, and, and critically... But it 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 um, it, ha it had very sort of long legs because it took a long time for people to to catch up with it and to see it and you know it was released probably on two screens in America in two theaters and it took years for people to to you know to see the movie um, so yeah I don't know if that answers your question no it does I, I know we have questions in the audience is there a microphone how are we doing ah. If you raise your hand, you have a question. I'm sure you do. There's one right here in the front. The right microphone's here in the front row. Second row. All right. Well, I'm a big fan of your work. Um, I really like the roles you pick. Um, but I was curious what it was like to work with Sari Ronan. With who, sorry? With uh, oh, so, Yeah. It's, it's, a, it's a difficult name to pronounce. It's Sersha. Yeah. And don't worry, I, I had to be told myself. I, the first thing I asked when I spoke to Joe, how do I say her name? Sersha. Uh, no, she was, you know, absolutely fantastic. I was lucky on so many levels with Sersha. I think uh, the two areas where I was very fortunate was, you know, A, she's just a great, fun, young girl. She's not a 40-year-old trapped in a 15-year-old's body. She is a... The time we filmed this, she was just a wise, gorgeous, energetic, uh, fun 15-year-old, and which I absolutely adored in her. She's not someone who's got stars in her eyes. She's just doing what she wants to do and is, is just great. So she was, you know, so much fun. Our, our off-screen dynamic was far more sort of brother and sister than it was father-daughter. I didn't ever feel like I had to mentor her in any way or look after her in any way. She's very, you know, uh, mature. Um, but also what was great for me was... Her and Joe ha had a pre-existing relationship and that took a lot of pressure off me because I knew that the, the dynamic between the director and my co-star was not something that I had to worry about, which could be a concern when you're you know, making a movie with a young person and your natural instincts is that you want to 
look out for them and hope that everything's going to go okay. And I didn't have to worry about that at all. It was the opposite. Like they knew each other. I was the stranger, you know. So um, the pair of them together were fantastic. And yeah, she was just, you know, really prepared, had really trained hard. Uh, I think she'd really, you know, put on a bit of muscle and a lot of conditioning with, with Jeff and his stunt guys and got really fit. And, you know, it's a really grueling film for her. Um, uh, when you're the lead in a movie like this, like she is, there really are, I don't think, hardly any days off, which I know, you know, sounds weird, but it's, it's, it's a different beast. It's a really different beast being a lead in a movie to being a supporting character in terms of the mental and physical load. And to, for her at that age... To, to pull that off was just, you know, unbelievable. The only thing I said to her occasion was, if you're sore, you better say something. And if you're tired, you better say something because she just wouldn't, you know, she'd just keep going, going like a greyhound, you know. Well, what's fascinating too is that she has to play an innocent. I mean, somebody who's been sheltered from the world. And that, that's got to be a hard thing for anybody to do, let alone a kid who's still trying to figure out who she is. Yeah, well, I think she does it with a real sense of kind of wonderment and discovery because I think, you know, that's her as well. I think, you know, she's someone who is discovering and she's really interested. Um, so I think she really used a lot of that. Second row? Uh, yeah, like you said, you have respect for writers. Well, I just finished writing a screenplay called Cosa Nostra. But my question to you is that uh, what was the hardest... Uh, movie you ever worked on and what was the most enjoyable movie you've ever worked on oh, oh. most enjoyable enjoyable that's tough you know because it's like sometimes enjoyable for me is not enjoyable in a day-to-day -day fashion but when i look back i enjoyed the challenge you know so i guess as it's hard for me to identify i mean the most purely fun experience was probably funny people um, but in, in terms of the most enjoyable on the whole, it'd be really hard for me to, um, to uh, answer that. M Munich was a lot of fun, even though it was a very heavy uh, film and heavy subject matter, but I had, you know, really great cast and great people and we were on the road the whole time, so that was a, a lot of fun. Um, on, the other, on the other spectrum, there's probably a few films that I've done where for whatever reason, whether it be the director's experience or the character you're playing is not as dynamic as you would like to or, or that, that you're used to makes, makes the day-to-day -day drudge kind of a, a bit harder. But again, it would be hard for me to sort of put a label on, on one of them. What but they're all really, really different, you know. What was it like going from Chopper to your first big American movie? It must have been a kind of a terrifying environment in some ways, wasn't it? Well, it was because, you know, look, uh, looking back now, um, I, I mean, I did realise at the time how big it was, but in hindsight it, it was even bigger But because the first American film for me was Black Hawk Down and we shot that in Morocco and we had, you know, full US military backing and we had, a, you know, a, a, the most... I mean, I don't know how long since any of you, if you've seen that film or not, have a look at it. The cast in that film is a joke. That, that, I mean, everybody's, everybody's in, in that movie with a helmet and makeup on. I mean, you'll just Ty Burrell from Modern Family is in that movie. I mean, everyone is Sam in that Shepard's movie. Sam Shepard is in that movie. Sam Shepard is in that movie. Orlando Bloom is in that movie. Kim Coates from Sons of Anarchy is in that movie. Ewan McGregor, Josh Hartnett, Tom Sizemore. 
Um, I mean, it just it goes on and on and on. Uh, Tom Hardy is in that movie, right? right? Yeah. Tom Hardy's in that film. Uh, so it's, it is a sort of, sort of scary film to relive. You'll sit there going, oh, my God, that's the guy from, you know, whatever. Um, that, that was a truly overwhelming, unbelievable, fantastic experience. You know, when the first day you go to work and there is an armoured personnel character coming down the street at 40 miles an hour firing 50 cal blanks and I don't care that they're blanks, I mean, your chest just goes... <laughs> you know, you just... You don't forget it and, you know, there's half a dozen helicopters flying over. And you're shooting with and six cameras. And you're shooting with six cameras and it's Ridley Scott behind the, behind the lens. It's, you know, it doesn't get any more exciting. So in terms of, like, adrenaline, it was, like, from... From one extreme to another, definitely. The back row? Yeah. On your side? Oh, there you go. Yeah. Did you always want to be an actor or did you kind of fall into it? Uh, that's a good question. I mean, I, 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 I really, uh, as a very young kid, I enjoyed doing actory kind of things. But I was such... Uh, well, I would always... Tease is the wrong word because tease is not affectionate. I was affectionate in my humour. I would enjoy taking the mickey out of people in, in a nice way. I would enjoy doing impersonations of my family members or school teachers. Or, but seriously, not, never malicious, you know. And I, I just enjoyed doing it. And, and it was something that, that would make people laugh and, and would sometimes get me out of trouble or get me in trouble or whatever. But I was such a, uh, you know, I loved to play football and I loved cars and I loved motorcycles and I, I grew up in the, you know, western suburbs of Melbourne. There was nothing artistic about my day-to-day -day life. So it took me a hell of a long time to kind of reconcile. Uh, it wasn't until I was an adult that I sort of, in a weird way, connected to the fact that I'm actually meant to be doing something else rather than working on a car perhaps. Um, that you I see a lot of stand-up as a kid. Did you was that something you were gravitated towards at all? No, the, actually, the, 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 it's, a, it's an interesting question because actually stand-up was something I fell into, more so, and it, I fell into it because to me it was a shortcut to acting. My stand-up style was not jokey. It, Richard Pryor was my hero as a kid, so it was far more sort of storytelling and uh, you know character-driven. Um, so that's what my stand-up was like, and. The I then went into sketch comedy, and to me, sketch comedy was acting. I never saw the difference. I was like, people always said to me, "Oh, you know, can you believe that you went from sketch comedy to acting?" I'm like, "Well, it's the same bloody thing, if you ask me." It's like one elicits a laugh, and one one doesn't. You know, like, I mean, I see people every day that are basically playing themselves, you know, on screen, but then someone is able to do. 10 different characters but get a laugh and they're not acting. I don't agree with that at all. So I, I always saw the comedy as a kind of a way in to this because I was a lazy bastard and didn't want to go to drama school. Okay, that's, a, that's the <laughs> truth. But still in doing, if you're really doing s sketch comedy, you've got to find a character. You can't just go off and try to undermine the other actors in the sketch or draw attention to yourself. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's the fun. I mean, I think that's the irony of the, the, the business today in a celebrity-driven uh, culture to a degree is the fact that I have no real interest in being me, right? So to me, the, uh, the celebrity nature is, is weird because is all I want to do is be someone else. I'm more interested 
in you than I am in me to a large degree because I'm, I want to step in your shoes and I want to try and portray you or experience your existence or how you go about the earth than I am like – so that's why I think celebrity is dangerous because it's just a great big bloody mirror that takes you onto yourself and, and stops you from being able to look at what you need to look at to be an actor. And, I, and that's, that's essentially what's important about trying to find things that, like I was saying before, uh, you know, light whatever that, whatever that fire is. We have time for two more questions. Young lady here. Do you ever consider getting more into comedic roles since you kind of started that way? And I mean, you kind of do some serious roles right now. So do you consider getting into? I mean, you enjoyed doing the Apatow film and stuff yeah. like that. So do you no, think it's about a good that? question because to be honest, when I when I first got my my break, you know, when I you know Chopper opened a lot of doors for me, and then threw Black Hawk down and movies after that suddenly I was given opportunities that I'd never had before and that I couldn't have dreamt of and I just felt like a kid in a candy store and I was like, I can't believe that I'm getting this opportunity and I'd just done, you know, like 10 years straight of comedy and I was kind of a bit burnt out by it. So to me, it was a case of I, I, I really shut the door really firmly and was hell-bent on experiencing this other path um, so to be honest, I'd say in the first five or six years, I wasn't even open to the idea. And then I started to feel like everyone's having more fun than I am and it would be great to go out and do something. But I never felt like it was my place to insert myself into a broad American comedy. Like I'd go to the movies and see a comedy and I'd go, no, there's nothing in there that I could have done. Really? Yeah. So um, it wasn't until funny people came along that I went, okay, here's something where I feel like I can contribute to and have a bit of fun and... Um, you know, bring some ideas to the table. So if, if I wasn't, if it wasn't that kind of uh, experience, it, I, I, I wouldn't do it. But I'd definitely be open to doing it again, for sure. Yeah. Right here in the second row center. Uh, you seem like you have a, a real understanding and a real innate ability of filmmaking in general. Are you interested at all in writing or directing in the future at all? Yeah, I'd like to. I, I directed a feature-length doc called Love the Beast a few years ago, um, which is it's ca it's a car-based love story, basically. But that was something I did partly because I wanted to go through that experience and it was a, a personal idea that I put down and, and, you know, was thinking about telling as a narrative form and realised that, that I couldn't really do that, so I had to be more true to it and do it in a documentary format. And I had the time of my life editing that and putting that together. Um, so I would love to be able to do something else someday and I'd love to be able to do a narrative next time. But again, I think it would have to be something that came from me. I don't, I tend not to read scripts and go, oh, you know, I, I would like to direct that. I don't really do that. Sometimes I might read a book and go, that could be an interesting adaptation. Um, and I do, you know, produce stuff that I'm involved in or that I've done back in Australia more so than, than over here. Um, but... Yeah, I guess the, I, I love the camera. I, I, I love what DPs do. Like I say, I, I am in awe of writers. I'm in awe of directors. So to me, I am, you know, a kid in a candy store when I go to work because I'm interested in all of it. And I love even watching how a producer gets through uh, a, an absolutely impossible week, you know. Um, so all of it fascinates me and I do enjoy being involved in it. Um, so, yeah, I, I would like to at some stage.
Yeah. I was going to ask you one last question. You talked about the 70s American films that you grew up loving, but you also were growing up at a time when Australian film was really blowing up. There's a lot of great stuff going on from, from Proof to the Mad Max movies, and that must have been a really inspiring period for you too. It was. I mean, when I was a kid, Mel Gibson was breaking out, and he was kind of the first, you know, big... I mean, Paul Hogan, I know, is how a lot of you related to Australian, Australian culture... Um, but, you know, f for us, uh, well, for me, you know, in the 70s when Mel Gibson came along, it was, it was a phenomenon, you know, because it was like here is a, a, like a, a proper Australian actor and he's doing, you know, this work and this kind of movie. And, well, American-Australian actor. <laughs> it's true, true. Um, and, you know, Mad Max came along, which is my favourite movie of all time. And it, it does... Definitely, I think, you know, those early influences are, are very powerful. But he was, he was you know, he, a trailblazer for, for all of us um, and for all of you Americans who want to come to Australia and do movies as well, obviously. Well, let's thank Eric Manor for being here. Thanks very much. Thanks for coming. Cheers. Quick thank you again to Eric. The film Hannah opens nationwide this Friday, everybody. Okay, so that's a couple of days to plan it out. We can all go together. It'll be fantastic. Also, don't forget the Meet the Filmmaker podcast, completely free. This discussion and more available up there on the iTunes store. Of course, the Apple website, apple.com forward slash Soho. For all your upcoming events and needs, you can go there, visit, find out what's happening when, make reservations for workshops and everything else. Also, the Apple Store app, Completely free, available in the iTunes store. Again, you can find out what's happening at which store when, make reservations. It'll even check you in if you make a technical support appointment. It's borderline alien technology. It's pretty cool, and it's absolutely free. So you go ahead, jump on the iTunes store. It's really, really neat, the Apple Store app. Guys, thank you so much for coming out tonight. We hope you had an awesome time, and we hope to see you again at the next one. Take care now.